Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Luke, chapter 19. I'll get to the text verse in just a little while. I want to lead up to that, however, by making some remarks. As Christians, I think we would all agree that it's crucial that we not only understand our mission, but that we do everything in our power to carry that mission out. And I'm afraid that we excel more in our knowledge than we do in our effort. I think everybody here tonight is familiar with the Great Commission. uh, At least that's what we call it, found there in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 and 20. Uh, Probably 90% of the people here could quote those verses, and uh, certainly we ought to be able to do so. That describes exactly what we as a church ought to be doing, but I'm not so sure that we understand exactly what the Lord uh, was talking about whenever he said, all nations, teach all nations. And we hear that phrase and automatically we think, well, yeah, we, so we, send, we send out some missionaries and so forth. And, uh, and that's well and good. We ought to do that. Uh, be wonderful if we could send a missionary to every single nation on the face of the earth. But I want you to listen to what Jesus said just before the ascension in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, where were they? In Jerusalem. And notice what he said, to be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem. In other words, that's the starting point. You've got to start where you are. And so there are a lot of times, you know, we look, at the, uh, we look at our mission and think about it in terms of going into all of the world, to all nations, but we forget that it starts by where we are. Amen. We're to preach the gospel everywhere, but some way or another, sometimes we forget about our duty to witness to everyone. You know, everywhere is one thing, but everyone is... Uh, is something else because we're not just looking at the length of our reach in trying to get the gospel away from our home base, but we're looking at as many people as we possibly can to reach. And I, I mention this because, because I believe there are a lot of people that, for lack of a better phrase, they fall through the cracks. In other words, they go without their spiritual need ever being uh, met and we look into the big picture sometimes we lose sight of the individual well I'm so thankful our Lord never overlooked the individual and that brings us to our our text here this evening I wish I had the time to read uh, uh, most of chapter 19 here in Luke because we see a great example of what I'm talking about and as you'll notice it begins with the story of Zacchaeus, that wee little man that the kids sing about. But I want to pick it up in verse number 10, just at the conclusion of that story, where the Lord says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And as they heard these things, he added, 
and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. Now keep in mind that this statement and this parable is all involved in the Lord expressing his concern about people, specifically his concern for Zacchaeus, this one to be doing. And notice the phrase where he says, Occupy till I come. The title of the message is simply Occupy. That means to carry on a business, to carry on a business. I heard a preacher say some years ago that he resented the fact that we referred to the Lord's work as a business. Well, that's exactly what it is. It is the most important business in all of the world. And he's saying, do business until I come. To put it, you know, in modern English, you know, we might say it means get with the program. Get on with the job. That's exactly what he is inferring when he says, Occupy to I come. Get on with the job. Keep at the job until I come. That is, that is the whole point. And naturally it had to do with us winning souls to Christ. So there's no doubt about our duty, as Brother Rick prayed just a few moments ago. That is very clear, and uh, the Bible makes it perfectly clear exactly what we ought to be doing, where our main emphasis ought to be. Now I want you to, to turn... Matthew's account now over in Matthew chapter number 25 and and I'd like to begin in verse 31 but for time's sake and I keep saying for time's sake because I'm just going to make it through the introduction tonight I'm not going to get to the message actually I might give you the outline we'll see how it goes but but all of this needs to be the foundation for what I'm going to say at the very end and I want you to notice the people that the Lord makes mention of, beginning in verse number 35. We're in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 35, where he says, For I was a hungered, and you gave me, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. And then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. In my Bible, I've underlined 
the uh, different people that are mentioned here in these verses. Notice what he's what he says, those that he describes. He says some of them were hungry. Some of them were thirsty. Some of them were strangers. Some of them were naked. Some sick and some in prison. Now, naturally, this list isn't all-inclusive of people in need, but the Lord knew that it is sufficient point that he's trying to make here this is talking about people that have various needs and we could a week or so ago about the need for caring for the widows we could add that to the list we could talk about the orphans put that on the list we could talk about addicts for example, and alcoholics and so forth and and the list could go on and on and we could speak about all of these different groups uh, because I think it'll illustrate the point that I'm trying to make. I, I was recently watching a program. In fact, I watched, uh, I don't know, two or three segments of this, uh, I guess it was a series having to do with the, with the prisons here in America. In, in Illinois. And it was talking about, you know, the situation there and the difficulties and the kind of people that were there and what have you. And by the time it was all over, it was obvious to me that we can't build prisons fast enough to take care of all of the needs. I mean, you think about the sheer number of criminals and the complexity of the legal system in trying to you know, get them where they ought to be and so on and so forth. And, and you add to that the enormous cost of all of this. I mean, it's mind-boggling. Yeah. I mean, here's some guy that, that kills someone and rapes a woman and we put him in prison and give him good doctor care and a TV and feed him for the rest of his life. And so we've got this enormous cost to all of this. But then sometimes we forget about the families that are affected by it. And I don't mean just the families of the victims, by the way. I mean, that's horrible in and of itself. But there is the family of the criminal himself and, the, and what they suffer as a result of it. But sometimes we don't even take into consideration the need of the prisoner himself. We really don't. You know, that's generally the very last thing. If ever we think about him, we, you know, it's last on our, our list. And so, you know, naturally that raises the question, what in the world are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to just, you know, sit back, let him rot in prison? Well, I believe in justice as much as anybody. In fact, probably more than most people. In fact, I'm, it's even problematic for me sometimes in my way of thinking. Like I, I've often said, sometimes I feel like the dirty hairy of the preachers because, you know, if I'd lived in the old days, I'd probably be a vigilante or something going around hanging people and things like that. I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you that's, a, that's a, always been a real struggle for me. Uh, and, and so whenever I make mention of this, understand I'm speaking from experience as to the difficulties that we have when it comes to being concerned about the needs of people that are incarcerated. I believe in justice. 
Uh, I believe there's a price to pay for crime. I even believe in the death penalty in certain cases. But that does not mean that we ought to ignore the deepest need of the prisoner, which is spiritual. As Christians, we have an obligation to love them regardless of who they are and what they've done. And I'm convinced that we sometimes don't do a very good job of that. The fact that Christ tasted death, the Bible says, for every man, and the fact that he sent us to preach the gospel, what? To every creature, then are we not obligated to minister to those that that are in prison? Are we or not? Well, of course we are. The question is, do, do, we really, do we really love them? In other words, do we care enough about them to take the gospel inside the prison walls or the local jail or wherever it is that they're incarcerated? I remember years ago, some of you have heard me talk about that little redhead girl that Bev brought home with us. We, we picked her up. We had an old, uh, an old Chevy carry-all. That, we didn't have a church bus then. That, that's all we had. And we picked, up, we picked up as many kids as we could load onto that and bring them to church and make another trip. And, and, and Bev just, boy, she fell in love with this one little red-headed girl from a poor family. And, and some people think they know what poverty is. But let me tell you, down in the Ozark Hills, uh, some people, they have no idea. We've eaten in places, and this is no exaggeration, the pigs and the goats and the chickens and everything were underneath the, the house, especially on the back, was up on, up on, I guess you'd say stilts or whatever, and the animals were under us. There were cats and dogs and everything else. Since I, it was filthy. The people were poor. But the place where this little girl lived was worse than that. And we bring her to church. I'll never forget one day finding out that her her father had raped her, and he was in jail. And uh, what do you do in a case like that? I, you know, the flesh says, uh, "I want to sneak a gun in there and shoot him or something." I mean, that, that's the way that you feel. I don't. I have no idea. I certainly. I don't think I was spiritual minded enough to think to myself, "Well, we need to go down there and witness to that guy." So I don't know what put that thought in my mind, whether it was a suggestion or what it was. But we had a. We had a. Anyway, I made the decision. I'm going down there and talk to him. And uh, we had a fellow in our church that had surrendered to preach, was going to Bible college. He weighed about 350 pounds. He'd been a member of the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club, and he looked just like that. I mean, he was one big, rough-looking dude, and his name was Clarence Feasel. Was his, that was his last name, Feasel. And uh, I wanted somebody to go with me, and I told him, I said, I, I want you to go with me. And uh, I said, this is going to be tough. I just don't know that I can do this. And so he agreed, and we went down there, and we got visitation rights. I had a deputy sheriff commission at that time, in addition to being a member of the clergy. And, 
and because of that, they they allowed us access to the prisoner, and we went in and and talked with him. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, I just told him about Jesus and what the Lord had done, that he loved him so much that he died for him. Now, I don't know that this guy was sincere or not, but I know he made a profession of faith that day. I'd like to think that he really got saved, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know about you or anybody else other than me, but he made a profession of faith, but it really hit home in my heart that sometimes we have to overcome that old ugly desire in our heart, you know, that hatred that we have toward people and the horrible, terrible things that they've done because they have a need that that only the Lord can meet and and we have an obligation you know as Christian people to love them regardless so this is I'm saying all that to say this I know this is a tough assignment when I talk about this and and the biggest obstacle is our attitude toward the prisoners because some of them have committed these horrible crimes and things that are, uh, in, you know, our mind can't even go there and imagine someone doing so. The natural tendency is for us to despise people like that, and especially when it touches us in a personal way. You know, it's one thing to say so-and-so's in jail because he did this or he did that, Boy, it's a whole different ball game whenever that person's in jail because of what they did to you or to one of the members of your family. That of duty never relieves us from the responsibility. And refusing to love people like that is really not an option. Not an option. Not if we're going to follow the Lord. We have an obligation. If we're going to be in the will of God, we have to love those that are unlovely, regardless of who they are. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I don't have all of the answers for the problems associated with, with prisons and trying to reach prisoners. Uh, I'm not that smart, but I'm smart enough to know what every person needs, and that is they need the Lord Jesus Christ. And it gets back to that question, do we love them enough to get the gospel to them? And as I said, I'm really convinced that we could do better than what we do. You know, it's, a, it's folly to expect unsaved people to be rehabilitated when they've never been redeemed. You know, we put people in prison and the whole idea, you know, and naturally you want them to pay for the crime that they did, but everybody knows, or at least we say so, that we want them to be rehabilitated, to get back in the mainstream of society, to become productive citizens, and so on and so forth. I mean, that's the ideal, but we're not being realistic Whenever we think about people that are unsaved, we're asking them to do something that is totally contrary to their human nature, something they cannot possibly do. They can't. They are a slave to their sins. The only hope for people like that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, even if we could rehabilitate them, get them to stop whatever crimes it is that they've been committing, if we could do that, if we could get them, you know, to 
to just change their life and to get out and get a job and not commit any more crimes and so forth, uh, they'd still go to hell when they died. So that doesn't solve all of the problems, does it? They still must be born again. Most people, I think I could probably say most churches have never made any kind of an effort to minister to those in prison. And and I understand that everybody can't be involved in prison ministry. I, I understand that, but some people can. And I'm saying all that for this reason. I'm just using that as an illustration because... This isn't the only area where we as Christians and churches fail because in addition to the prisons, we could talk about what? We could talk about how about nursing homes? We could talk about that, couldn't we? Think about all of the, I guess I could say millions of people that are stuck in nursing homes that the majority of them not not probably not even saved and those that are in there that are saved they certainly have needs that nobody is needing think about think about the hospitals the retirement villages like villas in the pines where for all of these years now we've been ministering over there those places get overlooked a lot think about the orphans think about the widows and so forth that need help but then we have to ask ourselves, but oh, what about our neighbor? And what about our friends? And what about our family? And, and, and I know that everybody can't be involved in every kind of ministry, but everyone can be involved in something. That's the point. We can all be involved in something. Getting the gospel to people. For some people, that ministry... Might be a wanna. Thank God for that. For other people that are involved, let's say in Sunday school, uh, the bus ministry. You know, how, how, how about that? You know, Daniel's going out here with the van, trying to pick up as many people as he can. Thank God for that. I mean, that's that's great. Let's you know, let's get people in here. You know, however we can. But as important as those ministries are, there are so many different areas that need our attention now before you think that i'm just rebuking you let me say this although i've been involved in all of these ministries that we've mentioned and and we as a church we're involved in some of these we help support an orphanage we have a ministry over at the villas and uh, we uh, we sponsor a missionary to the jails and so forth so we're involved to some extent you know in these ministries and Naturally, we can't do everything there. And I've been involved in those ministries. When I pastored in Tennessee, we had a missionary, a member of our church, was a missionary to jails and prisons, Brother Buddy Nichols. And uh, my, all over that, I've was i been in the hospitals and down at the jailhouse on many occasions with him. I was down there the day that some idiot shot up the police station. I was in the hospital when they rolled the cops in there that had been shot and talked to the families that day. So, you know, looking back, you know, I I, I can say, yeah, I've been involved in all of that, but I have failed as, as a pastor to challenge this church as I should have. Whenever I accepted the pastorate for uh, 
Bethlehem Baptist Temple in Cincinnati whenever I went there, and uh, naturally we had a Q&A session, you know, me with the pulpit committee, and, and uh, I would ask them questions, and they would ask me questions, and so on and so forth, and uh, someone asked the question, you know, what I hope to see accomplished if, uh, you know, while I was there. And I said, well, I'm not sure exactly how to word that, but I, you know, I'd, uh, I'd like to think if I was here 20, 20 years that we'd see, you know, a great number of people saved and added to the church and 20 churches started. Well, I was there 10 years and we didn't quite get to the 10, but we had, I think, eight churches eight or maybe nine churches that we started out of that church, churches that are in existence as a result of that church's ministry, and so on and so forth. And uh, now I'm older, and I'm less able to do a lot of the things that I used to do, and I look back, you know, and I, I, I wish I had done better at presenting the challenge to, to this church and and believe me, whenever I say that, understand that I think this is the very best church in this whole community. I believe that with all of my heart. I have no problem saying that. But that doesn't mean that we're everything that we ought to be. And God forbid that we get to that place that we think, oh, this is good enough. No, it's never good enough as long as people are dying and go to hell. And I just hope I can do something to to inspire especially those that are younger that have energy and enthusiasm to do some. Thank God that what Daniel's doing, trying to pick up people, and, and, and Corey is he's helping out over there, and those others, uh, Michael Mills, uh, helping out with Brother Kenneth and these young people, and, and, uh, and Ethan and Corey and the ministry that they have in the summer. And thank God for that. But, folks, let's be praying that God would raise up some folks in the church that would have a heart to get the gospel into the prisons for number one. Uh, those people need to hear it. A ministry to the jails and the prisons, a ministry to the nursing homes. If you've ever had a loved one in a nursing home, and boy, Bev could, uh, she could uh, speak to this a lot better than I could, but boy, whenever, and sometimes Bev spent five years taking care of her mother. Uh, she lived right there in the mobile home next to us over there on Story, and she took care of her. But finally they get to the place that where you've got to put them in a nursing home. You, you can't be there and attend to all of their needs yourself. Now, if you can, you know, more power to you, but everybody can't do that. But boy, when you see your loved ones there in, in a nursing home and... Uh, I thank God for the experiences that I've had over the years in working with people in nursing homes. I can remember the very first time that, that, uh, that I got involved in a nursing home ministry. And to this day, even though it's been 45 years ago, I guess, whenever that happened, Bev and I, we, we still remember the names of some of those patients there in that nursing home. And, but look, some of you young folks, you, you need to get a burden for that because you, you've got the energy and the ability to go and do what some of us can't do any longer. Now, with all of that being said, the, let me get to the whole root of the reason why we fail. 
we, and I didn't say you, I said we, the reason, and, and it's, it it's all amounts to this, and that is that somehow we've got to regain our concern for those that are lost. Someone said many years ago, I've seen it on placards and so forth in churches uh, across the country, this statement that you've no doubt heard many times, missions is the lifeblood of the church. Now, if that's true, and in a sense it is, then there are some churches that need to be on life support or they're dead already, one or the other. So something is seriously wrong. Missions is the lifeblood of the church. That is, if we don't win souls, the church eventually is going to die. And, and, and I think it's obvious that most churches today have shifted their focus away from missions to something else. You know, in, in, in a lot of churches, just to be honest, it's nothing more than entertainment. It's nothing about evangelism. It's just entertaining people. And when I'm talking about missions, remember, I started out where I did on purpose. I'm not just talking about someone, you know, being in, in some foreign country somewhere. I'm talking about missions right here at home, winning souls, establishing churches. Listen to this. The Barna research team recently asked in a survey churchgoers, if they had ever heard of the Great Commission, 51% of U.S. churchgoers said they do not know the term. 51% of professing Christians in America have never heard that phrase, the Great Commission. Of the other 49%, only 17% said they were familiar with the passage where it came from. Whenever I read that, immediately I thought to myself, someone isn't doing their job. Because every pastor ought to make known to the church what the church's mission is. I mean, ignorance is a big problem in our churches today, that in churches where people really don't know what the church is supposed to be doing. But ignorance isn't the uh, only problem. The real problem for a lot of us is not ignorance, but it's just a lack of concern. And I think that's an irrefutable fact because it's absolutely obvious that a lot of people aren't really concerned. They really don't care. I mean, it's easy to say that we do care about souls being saved and we're happy whenever somebody gets saved. But, uh, I mean, do we really care enough that we have a burden on our heart? And please understand, I'm not placing the blame on everybody else. I'm ashamed that I haven't done a better job than I have. I should have educated people better, encouraged people more. And as a pastor, it's so easy to get, uh, to get focused on trying to help the saints deal with all of their difficulties that sometimes, you know, we just, well, we just put winning souls on the back burner. 
because we're dealing with all these issues. So-and-so's going through a divorce. Somebody else, you know, they've got this disease and it threatens their life. Somebody else, you know, they just lost a loved one. And, you, and those needs need to be attended to. How in the world any church could say, well, we're just, we don't have Wednesday night services anymore and we don't have Sunday night. We, the only service we have is on Sunday morning. Well, the people are starving to death if that's the case. Because even with our Sunday school and our two services on Sunday and Wednesday, you don't get near as much spiritual food as you need. And to think about doing away with any of those services is ludicrous as far as I'm concerned. So I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to make you miserable. I, I just want to encourage you to redeem the time and take advantage of every opportunity you have to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the introduction. Seriously, <laughs> that's the introduction. And then there is the message. Here in Luke chapter 19 that I just read, verses 10 through 13, I remind you that the context here has to do with the Lord's concern for Zacchaeus. And the parable, notice there's a parable illustrating what we ought to do. And he says, you know, here in the, in the parable itself, beginning in verse number verse number. 12, and he said, Therefore a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom in return. He called his ten servants and delivered to them ten pounds. And notice, and said unto them, Occupy till I come. This has to do, remember, in light of the Lord's concern for those that are lost. He said, I come to seek and to save that which is lost. And he gives them this word picture, this parable to illustrate that and what we ought to be doing. Occupy, do business till I get back. Get at it, stay at it. That's the whole point. Now, if I was going to preach the sermon tonight, which I promise you I won't, I would speak about the things that we learn from what Jesus said here in this parable. Number one, that we see the saint's responsibility demands it. The saint's responsibility demands it because, as I've said over and over, the Bible speaks loud and clear what we ought to be doing. The steward, the steward's required drives it. His requirement, that is. We're all, look, we're all stewards. If we're Christians, we are stewards. We're either good ones or we're bad ones. But God has entrusted to every single one of us certain things that are to be used for Him as directed by Him. That's what we see in that parable. Given to the one of the ten pounds that here, now go do business till I get back. And so as stewards... The requirement that we have drives what we do or what we should be doing. The sinner's redemption deserves it. 
They might be the worst sinner on the face of the earth and committed some hideous crime that we think, how could you ever forgive somebody like that? It's not about you forgiving them. It's about them getting the Lord's forgiveness. Whether you ever do or not is one thing. The most important thing is that they find forgiveness with the Lord. And as Paul said, as Christians, we are debtors. We're debtors. We owe a debt. We have an obligation to tell others. And by the way, we can't do anything better than that. We think about all of the politics in America that is sickening whenever you... It just makes you fighting mad to see the corruption that is in our government and things of that nature. And you think about all of the crime that is all around us and all of the difficulties that we face as a nation and what have you. What are we going to do? The best thing and the only thing that we can do that will really make any difference is to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. You can make all the laws you want trying to legislate morality, but until a person is born again... is the will of God and that'll keep them in line not only that but the servant's reward depends on it starting in verse 15 and you go on down through verse 26 it all has to do with the matter of rewards and it came to pass when he was returned and having received the kingdom then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading and then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well done, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little. Boy, if we only knew what God's getting ready to do in the kingdom, there's going to be a thousand-year kingdom right here on this earth. And the saints are going to rule and reign with him. Think about that. I'm going to put you over these ten cities over here. Our mind can't even comprehend that. But the whole point is the servant's reward depends upon us being faithful to the commission that we've received. The sinner, the Savior's realization you know, the fact that he delights in it ought to encourage us. And certainly the sacrifice of our dear Redeemer, that, that really demonstrates what it's all about. When we stop and think about the price that Jesus Christ paid, not just for you and not just for me, but that price was paid for the most vile, filthy sinner that you can imagine that's in prison. Hitler could have been saved if he would have put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing that distracts us from it is the sin of rebellion against God. And I, I think everybody here would agree, preacher, you're right, we could do more. We really could, and we ought to do more, and yet somehow we let ourselves get distracted from the most important thing. So I, I just, I'm going to close and just remind you again that it is a lack of love on our part that causes us to fail at life's most important mission. And, and I could go on and on and on with verses talking about that very thing, that if we really cared enough, 
we would do what was necessary, you know, to tell people about Christ. Think about the story of Zacchaeus up, up a tree here. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. He sought to see Jesus, who he was, and he could not for the press because he was of little stature, and he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And Jesus came to the place. I'm glad that Jesus came to the place. Amen. Amen. He left the glories of heaven and condescended down to this old cruel world that we live in. He came, notice, and he looked up and he saw him. I wonder how many other people walked by without ever seeing little Zacchaeus up in that tree. But boy, Jesus didn't pass him up. God help us to not pass up those folks, whether they're in prison, whether they're widows, whether they're in hospitals or nursing homes. Uh, people sometimes say, I just heard this yesterday. Just yesterday, the men sitting around and talking about it and, and what have you, and somebody had inquired about, you know, what... Uh, but what can what can you what can we do at the church or how can we serve? I've just given you a whole bunch of different ways. We we can all be doing the same thing in different ways, and that's trying to bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, people. Somebody said, "Well, what we really need in our churches is a revival." Boy, if we get a heart for souls, we'll have revival. You mark that down. I could spend another 30 minutes, easy, longer than that, just going through the stuff I keep stuffed in my Bible, the quotes that I want to remember and the statements that have been made. Uh, there's one, Dr. Lewis Ensminger. I wish I had time to tell you that story. Everybody knows about J. Frank Norris and what a great, wonderful preacher he was and the great reputation he had, you know, the sin fighter, soul winner and what he did for fundamentalism and what have you and what most people don't tell you. He wasn't the one that built that, those two big, huge churches. It was Louis Ensminger and his Sunday school that built those big churches. I'm not taking anything away from J. Frank Norris and Ensminger, whenever it came down to talking about this matter of, of us personally witnessing to others, he said, this is the hardest work to get people to do. I, I don't have time to read you everything he said, but uh, some, someday I will, and you need to hear it. I could go on and give you quote after quote of great famous missionaries and the things they said. John Knox, for example, said, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. It was said that he often prayed all night to the point that his wife would come in and beg him to get some sleep. And his response was, how can I sleep when my land is not saved? David Brainerd, the great missionary to the American Indian, said, I cared not where or how I lived or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls for Christ. And I, and I, I could go on for hours talking. And I look at that and I wonder, Lord, what has happened to us? What's happened to me that I don't have that same...
wonder that God used them to do what they did. You see their heart for missions, for reaching those that were lost. Don't let the devil get you sidetracked on something else. We do Everything we do here is of importance, but nothing we ever do is more important than telling somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can do that in a coffee shop with your neighbor or friend or co-worker or classmate. Those of you that you kiddos getting ready to go back to school, tell somebody about Jesus. You might be the only one there doing that. I, I, those of you on Facebook, I posted a thing I saw last week and about the boy at the flagpole. How, how many of you have seen that? that? One kid, one kid. Sometimes you've got to stand all alone because there's nobody there going to stand with you. And that one kid stood out there at that flagpole on, on that day whenever there should have been all of the Christian kids and he stood there alone. I'll never forget reading whenever somebody, his mother, she had got off of Facebook and somebody told her, you know, you need to get on there and see. And that's all she knew. She got on and saw, and that was her son standing there all alone in prayer at that at that flagpole. If we even if we got to stand alone, folks, uh, don't, don't and what have you, don't you dare use me or anybody else as an excuse for not doing what you ought to be doing. All of us ought to have that heart to see other people saved. I mean, that ought to be the reason that we do what we do as Christian people. So someday I'll preach the message, but anyway, I want you to get the introduction tonight, and I hope it'll make a difference in Maybe somebody's heart, somebody will go home and say, Lord, why am I so different than David Brainerd and John Knox and Adirine Judson and William Carey? Why, why am I so different than them? They had that. Why don't I? And uh, the Lord goes on in that very chapter. He says, pray to the Lord of harvest. Fields are ripe and ready to harvest, but the labors are few. Sometimes we think, well, why don't we have more young men surrendering to the ministry? How long has it been since you prayed for God to raise up some young man here to surrender to preach? Think of it. You say, oh, I don't even remember. That's why. That's why. Let's pray God will raise up some of these young men. They'll surrender to preach and just let God guide them where he wants them to be. It might be a prison ministry. It might not. But it'll be someplace where they're needed. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, forgive me the many times and the many ways that I've failed you. Forgive me, Lord, for not being a better example and a greater challenge to this church. And Lord, I pray that you'll help each and every one of us to use what time we have left on this earth to do what we can to reach other people for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Lord, I just pray that you will, in, in some way or another, help us to reach our loved ones, those that in many instances have made a profession of faith, and they would, they would argue and debate and say they know of a certainty that they've been saved, but there's zero evidence that they've really been saved. God, help us to keep lifting them up in prayer and doing what we can to love them so much that they'll see the love of Christ in us. And it might draw them to a saving knowledge of Christ. So bless us tonight. We don't deserve it. We're like those, like those blind men, Lord. Have mercy on us. And give us what we need instead of what we deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. While we sing. It's 357, 357.